They say that you should go indoors whenever it begins to lightning. I remember a time when I was mowing grass at my grandmother's house, and I did this regularly, kind of as, kind of as a chore that was part of my responsibilities, and I did that for many years growing up. And she didn't have a big yard, but it was big enough uh, for me to spend quite some time on it. And I remember one day it started to rain. And as it started to rain, I started to get a little frustrated because I was about halfway done. I still had a little bit left to do. And so I really wanted to hurry up and finish before the rain got too bad. And so naturally, I, I made it a challenge in myself. Maybe I can push this lawnmower a little bit quicker and finish before the rain gets too terrible. And so I started to jog with the lawnmower, and I'm running just to make sure I can hurry up and finish this work. And sure enough, it starts to thunder a little bit, and the rain starts to get heavier, and I see lightning in the distance, but nonetheless, I'm determined. I'm going to finish mowing this grass before it's time, uh, so that I don't have to go home and do it another day, so that I don't have to come back at an inconvenient time. And so sure enough, I finally finish mowing the grass, and I go into the kitchen of my grandma's house. She, of course, is not happy that I was mowing the grass in the rain. She told me that I was foolish, and I'm fixing myself a glass of water. I'm kind of drying off. I might have been inside for two or three minutes, and I'm looking outside in the front yard, appreciating the work that I just accomplished. It's a great feeling. And suddenly it happens. Boom! The tree in the front yard got struck by lightning and caught fire. We had to call the fire department to come and put it out. This was the tree under which I was running foolishly with a little lawnmower just a few minutes prior. And suddenly I felt very small. And lightning seemed very big. Up until that point in my life, I had never seen lightning strike. I wasn't even really afraid of lightning. People would talk about being afraid of lightning. I laughed at them. I thought it was silly. Until that day that I saw how close I was to being struck. Suddenly it became real to me. And we all know that there is such a thing as a healthy fear that it's not a bad thing to fear certain things. Healthy fear is okay. And some people, especially little kids, don't quite have that healthy sense of fear yet. Sometimes kids are fearless. That's why we uh, childproof homes. That's why we put the little plugs in the outlets so that they don't get electrocuted. That's why when kids play by the road, or, or even if it's not a kid, maybe it's your pet, they get by the road and you freak out because you want them to come back because they are not quite aware of the danger of the oncoming traffic. There is such a thing as a healthy fear. And as we get older, we start to kind of embrace that healthy fear as a sign of wisdom. But unfortunately, as we take on that fear, we also take on other fears as we age, some unhealthy fears. And so then it starts to become difficult to decipher what's healthy and what's unhealthy fear, what's worth fearing and what's 
not worth fearing. St. Thomas Aquinas put it this way, that there's two separate fears. One he called servile fear, which is the type of fear that a servant would have to its master. A fear of punishment, a fear of pain and suffering, a fear of the master's temper tantrum. That's servile fear. The other type of fear he acknowledges is the filial fear, the type of fear that a son or a daughter would have to a loving parent, the type of fear they would have, a fear of disappointing. We don't want to disappoint our parents. A fear of separation. We don't want to be separated from the parents that we love. And so the filial fear would be a healthy sense of fear. It's a a fear that you could really just call respect or reverence. Whereas the servile fear is an unhealthy fear, a fear that paralyzes and divides. There is such a thing as a healthy sense of fear, and we see that healthy sense of fear in the readings today. The prophet Isaiah has a vision of God, and as he has this vision... He is well aware, as with most Old Testament people, that to see God face to face is impossible for a human being. In fact, in Exodus chapter 33, it says that no man may see God and live. And so the Old Testament people were very well aware of how fearful they were of actually seeing God. And and this type of fear was because they realized how small they were, how little they were, and they realized how mighty and powerful God was. It's as if the, the people understood that compared to God, they were like a little gnat in the presence of a volcano, or they were like a shadow in the presence of the sun. They realized their smallness, and they were terrified of seeing the Lord face to face. And so the prophet Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord. He sees the angels praising the Lord, saying, holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts. And the prophet Isaiah is terrified. He immediately says, woe is me, I am doomed, for I have unclean lips. Prophet Isaiah immediately was aware of his own sinfulness in the presence of such holiness. And then a seraphim, which is an angel, a fiery angel, comes onto the scene and brings a burning coal and purifies the prophet Isaiah's lips. And only then, after being purified, does the Lord invite the prophet Isaiah into a special calling. And the prophet Isaiah is then able to say, Yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. I'm ready. But it all began with a reverential fear of the Lord. Well, the same God in the Old Testament is the God that we experience in the New Testament. That same God approached Peter and the other disciples after a long night of fishing. And some of you may fish often, and you know that no matter how good you are at fishing, that sometimes the fish just don't bite. And it has nothing to do with your skill. It has nothing to do with, with uh, anything that you did. But every now and then, there's just a day where they won't bite. And that's what Peter and, his, and the other fishermen experienced. They were professionals. They knew what they were doing, but it was a long night. Nothing happened. No bites. 
And Jesus approached the scene. And he tells Peter, he says, lower your nets down for a catch. It's kind of foolish, kind of silly. And Peter even calls him out and says, Lord, well, I mean, we've been fishing all night and they haven't, we haven't caught anything. But with great faith, Peter says, I will do it if you say so. He lowers his nets down for a catch and we see a great miracle occurs. An overabundance of fish jump into this net and they're pulling the nets in and there's so many fish that the boat is in danger of sinking. It's clearly a miracle from God. This is not just some ordinary catch. Jesus is clearly divinely inspired and Peter suddenly recognizes that he is in the presence of the almighty powerful God. And his first response is reverential fear. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter, in the presence of such greatness and holiness, immediately recognizes his littleness and his sinfulness. And the same God that Peter experienced in the New Testament is the same God that we have with us today. The same God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who holds us into existence at every moment. The same God who, without his decision to keep us in existence, we would disappear into thin air. That same God is in this room right now, in the tabernacle at our altar. That same God is mighty and powerful. But that same God died for us on a cross and defeated death. And even though we are not worthy of his love at all, he chooses to love us. That same God chooses to extend his mercy through his own blood, through his own pain and suffering. The same God did not have to do that, but he did for you and me. And as we experience such holiness and such greatness, you and I are suddenly aware of our littleness, of our unworthiness. Proverbs 1, chapter 7, well, chapter 1, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The prophet Isaiah talks about the fear of the Lord being a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and St. Paul repeats him and talks about the fear of the Lord being a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We hear this fear of the Lord is supposed to be pretty important. It's the beginning of wisdom, and the end of wisdom is love. And so the fear of the Lord leads eventually to love, agape love, which we spoke about last week. But it's easy for us to take this for granted. Whenever we come to Mass, we begin with, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I remember one time I was on the airplane and um, I forgot to put my earphones in quick enough. So the person next to me started talking to me. (laughs) Y'all know how that goes. And this person was a chitter-chatter box. So I started getting a crick in my neck because I was like, you know, talking to her the whole time. Well, she, uh, of course, the conversation eventually at some points, they always want to know what you do. And so I told her, well, I was studying to become a priest. And okay, whoa, now we open up a big can of worms. 
And she, um, she told me that she is not Catholic, but she went to Catholic Mass before, and she was so sad. And I said, sad? Why were you sad? And she said, well, I went to this Mass, and at the very beginning of Mass, everyone's standing up, and they all start pounding their chest, and they start saying, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have... No, they started saying, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. That's what it was. And she said, and I was so sad because these people were beating themselves up, and I just wanted to tell them that God loves you. And I was perplexed by this. I wasn't quite sure in the moment how to respond. But of course, after much thought, I realized that in the overemphasis of God's love, she's accepting a cheap version of it. That she's forgetting that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That God's love doesn't mean a whole lot until we recognize our own sinfulness. Then we realize that God's love is really heroic because we don't even deserve it. And yet God loves us. And yet God chooses to forgive those who repent. And so when we approach Mass, we begin by saying, Lord, have mercy through my fault, through my fault, my most grievous fault, because we recognize that we are sinful and we don't deserve God's love, but yet with great confidence, we know that God chooses to forgive us when we repent. This humility is the beginning of wisdom. This is why we genuflect whenever we enter the church. This is why the church is treated a little bit differently than our living room. This is why Catholics don't bring coffee to church, unlike the other Christians. This is why we kneel during Mass and we bow. We do all these things because we, re- we believe that God is in this room and He deserves a reverential respect. And so our fear is not a servile fear in the hands of an angry God, afraid that God's going to zap us with lightning, but our fear is a filial fear, knowing that he could, he's powerful enough to zap us with lightning, but he won't if we remain close to him. He won't if we choose to continually turn our eyes back to him in love, because his love is mighty and great. So I want you to consider, do you have a healthy fear of the Lord? Do you have that sense of awe and wonder for God's mighty power and strength? When you come to Mass, are you ready to genuflect and kneel and bow? And does your interior disposition match your external gestures? Or do you take God's love for granted? Are you embracing a cheap, counterfeit version of God's mercy? When we fear the Lord, we belong to the Lord. And when we belong to the Lord, we don't fear the world. There's nothing that we can fear. All the anxiety that comes from life, If we truly fear the Lord, then that fear is nothing. Our fear of finances, our fear of our reputation, our fear of other people's expectations of us, our fear of discomfort, suffering, and even death itself cannot stand in the face of love. 
When we fear the Lord, we discover the love that God has for us. And this love is the love that St. John tells us that casts out all fear. When we fear the Lord, we belong to the Lord. If we fear the world more than the Lord, then we're doomed. Just like the prophet Isaiah says. We're doomed to have the heaviness of all these other fears bombard us, and we really don't have any hope. We just cannot get out of the heaviness of the worldly fears if that's what we choose to fear first. But if we choose to fear the Lord more than we fear the world, we discover the love of God, the mighty grandeur power of God. We respect with a great reverential awe who God really is. But in that humble littleness, we have great confidence because that mighty, powerful, divine God is our Father. And with great confidence, we can run to Him, knowing that we are an heir to His kingdom and we can receive the power of His gifts. And therefore, we have nothing to fear, that our faith conquers all fear but only if we begin with the fear of the Lord. Are you afraid of sinning more than the world? Or do you justify your sin because you're afraid of the world? Today, we want to pray for the reverential, healthy, filial fear of the Lord, the type of fear that sons and daughters have because they are afraid of separation from their loving Father. This type of fear is the beginning of wisdom, and this type of fear leads to love and casts out all fear. Today, we want to pray for the fear that casts out all other fears. Amen. Amen.